This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. We have a dog. Her name is Sasha. She's almost four. She's a standard poodle. She's got curly, fluffy, soft black hair, and she's very adorable. And she's a part of our family, and we care a lot about taking good care of her. And that includes feeding her high-quality dog food like Merrick's. Founded in Hereford, Texas, Merrick has been crafting high-quality dog food for over 30 years. Real is Merrick's recipe. They always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. Merrick creates homestyle recipes like Real Texas Beef and Sweet Potato or Grammy's Pot Pie, so you can feel good about what you're feeding your pet. I mean, you know, you come home from being out, and your dog is there to greet you, and, like, that's one of the best things about having a pet, you know? You come home, the dog's happy to see you, and they're hungry. And you want to reciprocate that good feeling they give you. When you walk in the door, you want to give to them in the form of some high-quality food. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. I just got an email from... I had asked for some kind of a statement, like, can you speak publicly? Can you go on the record to say something about what's going on in Bon Appetit? And um, the response is not right now. So nothing. Uh, Andres, who have you talked to? So I talked to... They definitely were not going to talk on the record. Emma, who have you talked to? So, so far I've been talking with... And I also heard back from... This is Sporkful producers Emma Morgenstern and Andres O'Hara with me during a production meeting for this episode. They'll be riding shotgun with me throughout. This is an update on our show about the recent reckoning at Bon Appetit. We know there's a lot going on behind the scenes there right now. The reason for those bleeps? We can't share who we've been talking to because no one would talk to us on the record. Weeks ago, when this story broke, people from BA talked to us, they tweeted, they posted on Instagram. So what's changed? Today on the show, we're going to find out. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. I'm Sporkful producer Andres O'Hara. And I'm senior producer Emma Morgenstern. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. I've experienced some of like the highest highs of my life this week. When Adam resigned, when Ducker resigned, I finally felt like uh, I wasn't just screaming in the wind anymore. So I feel like now finally things might change. That's Bon Appetit Test Kitchen star Sola El-Waley on this show seven weeks ago. In the wake of allegations about systemic racism at Bon Appetit and the resignations of two top execs, Sola felt some hope that people of color there could negotiate for pay equity and more diversity in hiring and content. Today on the show, we're taking you back inside BA to find out what's happened since. Because this kind of reckoning is happening in a lot of workplaces right now. So we want to know... How are Bon Appetit and its parent company, Condé Nast, dealing with all this turmoil? What's involved in trying to fix big systemic issues? You know, Sola and her colleagues speaking out, that was incredibly courageous. But now comes the part after the headline-grabbing scandal, when people have to make real change. Those in power have to act. This part is even harder. And that's why we've chosen to focus on it today. We'll tell you everything we've been able to find out about what's happening at the legendary food magazine and hugely popular YouTube channel. You'll recall that Bon Appetit came under fire in early June when a photo of the editor-in-chief in brownface surfaced. That led people of color there to speak out about longstanding issues, white people getting the best opportunities, black and brown people being used to show how diverse the staff is while being paid less for similar work. 
Following those revelations, Editor-in-Chief Adam Rappaport and video boss Matt Ducker resigned. We go into much more detail about that in our episode, A Reckoning at Bon Appetit. You don't need to listen to that before you hear this, but it'll provide important context. For this episode, we reached out to 17 people who currently work for Bon Appetit as employees or contributors, including all of the Test Kitchen YouTube stars, as well as editorial, production, and support staff. Six people agreed to talk to us, though all of them requested not to be named for fear of retaliation or because of ongoing negotiations with the company. No one agreed to be interviewed on tape. We also requested interviews with Condé Nast executives multiple times and went back and forth with them for over a month about doing an interview. In the end, spokespeople for the company provided answers to some of our questions, which you'll hear throughout this episode. They also shared a statement, which we'll post on Sporkful.com, but they declined to do a taped interview. We'll divide what's happening at BA into three categories. There's the editorial side. That's the magazine, website, social media, and recipes. Then there's the video side. That's actually run by a separate part of Condé Nast called Condé Nast Entertainment. And then there's the corporate level, the actions being taken by the execs who oversee all of it. We'll get to corporate and video later. First, let's focus on editorial. Right. So on the editorial side, we're going to talk about some of the progress they're making. A few weeks ago, Condé Nast CEO Roger Lynch spoke about diversity during the company's presentation at the New Friends, a conference where digital media companies pitch their content to potential advertisers. We're doubling down on work we've already been doing to build a culture that prioritizes diversity and inclusion. 30% of our workforce today in the U.S. includes people of color. And we're committed to growing that percentage at all levels. Lynch also said that the company started a global diversity and inclusion council last year, and that they're planning to hire a global chief diversity and inclusion officer who can help with equitable representation in all their content. First up is change at Bon Appetit. We've taken quick action to transform that brand. And as we welcome a new editor-in-chief soon, we will be coming back to present to you a new vision for everything. BA is still in the process of hiring a new editor-in-chief. Amanda Shapiro, the interim editor-in-chief, told the New York Times that she's pressed the company to hire a person of color for the role. According to multiple BA staffers, the current editors put together a list of possible candidates for the top job, and they submitted it to Condé Nast. A Condé Nast spokesperson declined to comment on whether they've committed to hiring the editor from that list, but said that input from staff is being heard. BA staffers themselves are also working to make their pool of freelancers more diverse. In the meantime, an internal working group of BA staffers is already starting to make changes to the content. And these changes are what we want to take a minute to focus on right now. In late June, research director Joey Hernandez wrote a letter from the editor, posted to the BA website and sent out as an email newsletter. In it, he announced that BA is initiating a recipe audit. Emma's been looking into what's happening on that front, so she'll take it from here. So I want to start off by saying that we had booked an interview with one of the BA folks who's working on the recipe audit so we could hear more about it. But just a couple of hours before we were set to record, our guest was forced to cancel. So while we couldn't get anyone to talk to us on the record, we saw that Joey Hernandez, who wrote the newsletter about the recipe audit, he was on the podcast Salt and Spine. He explained that the BA staff will go through previously published recipes and articles to make sure that they've been thoroughly fact-checked and read for cultural sensitivity. We all really care about changing food media while we have the chance, you know. Um, 
this has really been a galvanizing situation. And there are a lot of us on staff who want more than anything to improve and also regain the trust of the food community. Joey says some of the changes involved in the recipe audit are pretty straightforward. Are we just adjusting something because an ingredient, let's say the Makrut lime, might have had a racist name in the past, and we're just fixing that in the ingredient list? Um, that's kind of easy fix for a lot of these recipes. Makrut lime leaves are sometimes referred to with a different word starting with a K. That word is a racial slur. So BA is swapping in the term Makrut lime leaves in all of its recipes. But other issues don't have a quick fix. BA has a history of featuring white chefs talking about bastardized versions of dishes from other cultures. Joey is Filipino-American. He recalls that before he worked for BA, he was shocked to see the magazine's recipe for the Filipino dessert Halo Halo with gummy bears in it. That definitely is not in the traditional ingredient list. So to explain why that might be an issue, we reached out to Professor Krishnendu Ray, chair of the Food Studies Department at NYU. Because I know some people hear that and think, sure, the recipe is not traditional, but what's wrong with a little innovation? My first response is nothing wrong with it. What's wrong with it is that the unevenness of our attitude, that we are much more attentive, uh, conservative, say if it's French cuisine, if it's Italian regional cuisine, and we seem to be almost cavalier about foods from other parts of the world. I think the basic criticism is uh, put in a little more effort, be a little more attentive, and of course, learn the basics of a tradition and then innovate. Joey and his colleagues are also trying to address B.A.'s history of presenting white chefs as experts on cuisines associated with people of color. Like the time they had a white chef show people how to eat pho. No one's saying a white person can't cook Vietnamese food, and no one's saying a white chef can't cook pho if they've really learned the cuisine. But getting featured by Bon Appetit is a big opportunity. Their YouTube channel has turned their editors into minor celebrities— None of those people were famous before. Professor Ray says that these opportunities should go to the people who know a cuisine best. Why go to people who have just been tourists and travelers in a culture and not hire people in those communities to talk about those cuisines? Uh, the, the problem becomes if you're talking of a Nigerian food and you're talking about Indian food and the only people you talk to are white Americans who go there and then come back. The recipe audit is also a chance to beef up headnotes or intros for recipes. They'll try to give more credit to a dish's sources. For instance, the white chef Allison Roman had a recipe in BA for something the magazine called flaky bread, with no reference to the culture or cuisine that inspired it. It was presented as if it was her idea. Recently, the recipe was edited to say that it's based on a Yemeni bread called malawa. Joey told Salt and Spine that after they announced the recipe audit, some people had concerns. I've gotten a lot of pushback from some subscribers who you know, worried that we're just going to be deleting things. And I just want to be clear that that's not my goal at all. My goal is to recontextualize these recipes to to keep them up, but also show our work and show the changes. Um, I think a lot of that is determining the kind of editor's note that we want to leave on these pages. Is it a more robust head note where if it's a white writer, we ask, we go back to them and ask them their inspiration for the recipe and, you know, credit those sources. Joey says the staff is trying to have a consistent policy for handling each type of issue. 
And when you take a step back, all of this ties into the other issues that folks at BA are trying to address. A lot of it boils down to both white chefs and the white audience being given priority, being treated as if they're more important. That reinforces a perception that people of color are not part of Bon Appetit's desired audience, and by extension, not part of the American mainstream. Joey says staffers at BA are determined to work through these issues. Food is still literally our lifeblood, and and people have such a deep love for it. But I think that not everybody has the vocabulary, right? And And I'm especially not always going to be correct, but... I want to meet people where they are and then push us forward. Um, I'm not interested in litigating past mistakes and, and, you know, assigning blame. I just want to get the record right. You know, the readers, certainly the brand and the company wants us to be, you know, rah-rah positive again. And that's going to take some time. But like, we do have to lay down this foundation of work. So hopefully followers and fans and readers will trust us to do the, to do right by them. And, Um, We hope that we can show that we care and that there are a a core team of us who are really trying to dismantle the kind of toxic structures that have been put in place. So that's the editorial side. Now let's take a look at what's happening at the corporate level across editorial and video. In a statement, Condé Nast CEO Roger Lynch said the company is, quote, investigating all claims of pay inequities and inappropriate workplace behavior. A Condé Nast spokesperson confirms that the company has hired the law firm Proskauer Rose to do an investigation. Andres has been looking into that process since he worked at New York Public Radio when they also hired Proskauer to do an investigation about harassment there. So Andres, what can we expect from this process? Well, bringing in outside firms to assess what's happened in a troubled workplace and to make recommendations, that's become a pretty standard move for companies facing public scrutiny. And Proskauer has been the go-to firm in many recent cases. They've done investigations at other media companies like NBC, CBS, and as you said, Dan, New York Public Radio. Yeah, I also worked there, but I had left by the time the investigation happened. So why don't you tell folks about it? A lot of NYPR staffers thought the Proskauer investigation was not as thorough as it could have been. The final report said that there was no evidence of systemic harassment. It recommended some new policies, but it did not fault senior management. And look, there's a lot I could say about that time there, but I think it's better to hear from some of the reporters who covered this issue. Here's WNYC reporters Ilya Meritz and Jessica Gould. They're talking about the Proskauer investigation on WNYC's All Things Considered back in 2017. While the lawyers say they interviewed 36 people at New York Public Radio, quite a few of the key people who witnessed or experienced harassment were not interviewed or even approached. It's worth noting that firms tend to represent one side or the other, managers or employees, because of the ethics around conflicts of interest. And Proskauer tends to represent employers. I talked to a lawyer who represents employees, and she says it's important to recognize that these investigations aren't the same as for example, journalistic investigations. Uh, The firms are hired to serve the client. So recently, the board of the Metropolitan Opera hired Proskauer to investigate claims of abuse by the conductor James Levine. According to the New York Times, it found evidence of abuse, but similar to this case, it backed up how the leadership at the Met had handled the situation. A Condé Nast spokesperson told us that their Proskauer investigation is confidential because it's meant to protect everyone involved. And they described Proskauer as a neutral third party. But 
Condon asks the client here, so they set the parameters for the investigation, and they'll decide what parts of the findings, if any, will be made public. Proskar Rose did not respond to our request for comment. One Bon Appetit staffer who was interviewed by Proskauer tells us that it felt like the interviews were more about mounting a defense for Condé Nast rather than helping the company make changes. I'm told some of these interviews have been scheduled at the last minute, sometimes in the evening, which left little time to prepare. Multiple people at BA also tell us they see this as part of a larger effort to intimidate them. They say the company has made it clear they're watching what people are saying. Rachel Premack, the reporter from Business Insider, who's broken much of the news about Bon Appetit, she's heard similar stories from people she's spoken with. They have also received sort of like threatening emails like, oh, you better delete that. Or like, we saw that you tweeted that. Like, it's it's a company that speaking out is like very harshly censored. And people people who work there are like pretty scared. A lot of this fear comes from the suspension of video editor Matt Hunziker. On June 25th, Condé Nast suspended Hunziker, citing, quote, concerns raised about Matt that the company is obligated to investigate. No further details were provided, and the company declined to comment about it to us. Hunziker, who's white, has not spoken publicly about the suspension and did not respond to our request for comment. So we want to be clear. We don't know why he was suspended. But we can tell you how his suspension is being perceived by the people at Bon Appetit we talked to. And several of them tell us that they view this suspension as retribution for Hunziker's social media posts about Condé Nast. So Matt had tweeted, or Hunzi as he's called, he had tweeted in support of his coworkers who are not white. He was tweeting vague jokes about how, like, racism in media is very strong. Rachel, can you read a couple of the tweets that Matt Hunziker posted before he was suspended? Right. So these... These were all posted in June. He wrote, Finally completing the transformation to fully becoming my mother by yelling, quote, I brought you into this world and I can take you out, end quote, at the BA YouTube channel. And then the next tweet, Why would we hire someone who's not racist when we could simply, in parentheses, check industry handbook, and parentheses, uh, hire a racist and provide them with anti-racism training, dot, dot, dot. And according to his coworkers, that led to his suspension. Condé Nast said that there was internal concerns about him as an employee. They have not specified what those internal concerns are. One person from the BA test kitchen who spoke with us calls the suspension, quote, nefarious. On the day Hunziker was suspended, several BA staffers and contributors, including people of color, posted messages of support for him on social media. They even started a hashtag, Stand with Hunzi. Then, that evening, there was a mandatory all-staff meeting at 7 p.m. It was announced just 30 minutes in advance. Anna Wintour, the editor-in-chief of Vogue and global content advisor for Condé Nast, was in attendance. Multiple sources confirmed that in this meeting, people were called out by name for supporting Matt Hunziker on social media and told to take down their posts. But some posts are still there. Contributor Priya Krishna still has a tweet up from that day that says, quote, BA video editor Matt Hunziker was suspended by Condé for calling out systemic racism while the company says it supports people speaking openly. Got it. Editor Carla Lolly Music also still has a tweet up from that day that says, quote, I know it's hard for certain big companies to multitask, but you can't promise transparency and muzzle people like Matt Hunziker at the same time. Seconds later, she added a second tweet to that thread that said, quote, posted fearfully, unfortunately. 
Matt Hunziker's suspension was one of the reasons many people cited for not talking with us on the record. They feel intimidated. And this culture of fear at Condé Nast is the backdrop for ongoing negotiations between the company and people of color seeking pay equity. Coming up, we'll update you on those negotiations. Stick around. Advertisements. Yummy. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. And you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria Hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool... Almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the Choice Hotels take care of all the other stuff too, but I mean, a pool is a great start. Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. The weather's warming up. Have you nailed down your summer travel plans yet? I can tell you, we're working on ours and things are booking up, which is why you should be thinking about Norwegian Cruise Line. They have been raising the standards of cruising for more than 55 years. Let me tell you, when you cruise with NCL, you get award-winning specialty restaurants, immersive entertainment, and the most thrilling experiences at sea. Now, look, one of the great things about cruises in general is that you can visit and explore all kinds of different destinations, all with the ease of unpacking your bag just once. But Norwegian Cruise Line... They take cruising to another level and they take food to another level. With no set dining and entertainment times and no formal dress codes, you have the flexibility to design your ideal vacation. They have an incredible variety of truly authentic and fresh dining and bar experiences complemented by exceptional service. Listen to this. There are up to eight complimentary and nine specialty dining options per ship and up to 23 bar and lounge options. Come see why NCL's guest first philosophy means exceptional service and unforgettable memories. Book your next vacation at ncl.com. At Boar's Head, delicious is in the details. And you see that in their incredible selection of hummus flavors. Boar's Head hummus is expertly crafted to achieve the perfect balance of creamy texture and refined taste. You can taste those chickpeas. You can taste the tahini. You can taste a little bit of acidity. It's got it all. I especially love their roasted red pepper hummus made with fire-roasted peppers. You can even taste a little bit of that char. It's perfectly dippable. It's perfectly spreadable. This is the kind of thing you always want to have on hand in your refrigerator. Dip, scoop, spread, or smear boar's head hummus to your heart's content. Hummus so extraordinary, it can only be boar's head. Compromise elsewhere. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's Sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate? I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. 
Cara Nicoletti is a fourth-generation butcher, but the first woman in the family to do the job. I have a lot of very early meat memories. I sometimes think, like, if someone were to crack my brain open and look at them, it would just be like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> As Cara tells me in last week's episode, her grandfather didn't want her to go into the business. But she did it anyway and spent 10 years developing a type of sausages that none of her ancestors could have imagined. When it came time to start selling them on her own, it took a woman entrepreneur to tell her, you're not thinking big enough. Now, when she and her female business partners roll into meetings... The guys will, like, sort of laugh at us at first and sort of be like, okay, like, you know, whatever, little girls. But then we start talking and, like, they kind of, like, test you and start throwing questions your way. And once you can answer them all, they respect you maybe even more. Hear Kara's story in our recent episode, This Butcher Wants You to Eat Less Meat. It's up now where you got this one. Please take a minute to follow our show. If you listen in Apple Podcasts, click subscribe. Go ahead, you can do it right now while you're listening. Thanks. Okay, back to Bon Appetit, and I'm joined once again by Sporkful producers Andres O'Hara and Emma Morgenstern. Hey. Hey, Dan. We've covered what's going on with the editorial side and with various investigations. Now let's turn to the video side and the BA Test Kitchen YouTube channel. With 6 million subscribers, it's Condé Nast's biggest channel and a key source of revenue for Bon Appetit, especially in an era of declining magazine sales. They used to post a couple videos to the channel every week, but they haven't posted at all since June 5th, right before Rappaport and Ducker's resignations. That's because some of the people of color are in active negotiations with the company. As we reported in our last episode, the white stars of the BA Test Kitchen videos have lucrative contracts from Condé Nast Entertainment, or CNE. The people of color who appear in these videos mostly do not. In spite of that, their presence is used to make the test kitchen look diverse. And that diversity is a big part of why people like these videos. So correcting that pay inequity is the first demand in these negotiations. But people at BA are also demanding that the company commit to more diversity in hiring and content. Until both demands are met, those who host and produce the videos are refusing to make more. All these issues were top of mind at that recent New Fronts conference. When we talk about transformation, I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to talk about the elephant in the kitchen. Bon appetit. This is Reggie Williams, who joined Condé Nast Entertainment as SVP of Programming last fall. He talked about increasing diversity in BA's videos. Systemic racism is ubiquitous, and there is a need for sweeping change. Condé Nast was ahead of that curve when they hired me a black man with decades of experience creating diverse and inclusive programming to help lead that charge from within. I came in with eyes wide open about what our brands have represented over the years, both the good and the bad. So the company says it's committed to increasing diversity in hiring and content. But as Business Insider's Rachel Premack said in our last episode on this subject, BA staffers have heard these promises before, and it hasn't happened. Now, according to multiple sources, Condé Nast has told the people of color from the test kitchen that the company is actively interviewing new people of color. Condé Nast tells us these people are being considered for new roles in the test kitchen, but given the fear that many at BA are feeling right now, several people told us that it felt like a threat, that the company could replace them. As for the issue of pay inequity, multiple sources tell us that many of the white hosts have shared their contract details with the people of color. White host Molly Baz said so publicly. So the people of color know what the white folks are making. And Condé Nast knows that they know. 
Still, our sources say that Condé Nast continues to offer people of color from the test kitchen much less than their white counterparts make. It's difficult to say exactly how much less, because contracts vary even among the white hosts. But we're told at least one person of color from the test kitchen was offered less than half of the average for the white hosts. While Condé Nast would not confirm details of the negotiations, they acknowledged to us that, in general, yeah, some people from the test kitchen are paid more than others. And they say, with good reason. Some hosts do better with the YouTube algorithm. They get more clicks, so they generate more revenue. Condé says it's not about race. Those people are just more popular, so they get paid more. On the other hand, the white hosts became popular because BA featured them in the first place. That's what Sola told us in our last episode on this topic. They have this like circular logic that the people they choose to put in a, in a show and give a lucrative contract to are the people who have a lot of followers. But the people who ended up with a lot of followers are the people who got the show. You know what I mean? They never gave us a chance. It's worth adding that the choice to feature mostly white people in videos is not haphazard. According to Rachel Premack, CNE has long had a system in place called a scale check. Before any video gets greenlit, a small group of people look at past data to determine whether it'll be a hit, whether it'll scale. Condé CEO Roger Lynch addressed this system in a meeting. Business Insider got a tape of it. He said, quote, if they're using historical data to project future outcomes and the historical data has racist or prejudicial influences in it, then you only get that outcome going forward. Where do things stand now? Well, the Condé Nast spokespeople told us that the company expects to come to an agreement in the negotiations and that they're trying to provide as much transparency as possible. But one of the people of color involved tells me they feel like the company is behaving, quote, like a cartoon villain. Several people at Bon Appetit tell us that because of the way negotiations are going, there's a real possibility that a core group of Test Kitchen stars will leave the company. Whatever happens with the negotiations, one thing's for sure. We all know a lot more about Bon Appetit's inner workings than we did before. Which leads to one final question. Where does the BA test kitchen go from here? The test kitchen, my feeling is that it's sort of like the sum is greater than the parts. Here again is reporter Rachel Premack. You very rarely see a video where it's just one of them. Like it's always them interacting with each other. So if they all left and all went to one place or if they all left and all formed their own publication or formed their own YouTube channel or... I also just wonder, knowing what we know now of what was going on there behind the scenes for so long, even if they all come back, can it ever be the same? Yeah, I agree with you there. The happy, loving family... The racially diverse, you know, cool upscale hipsters that turns out to have been kind of a, a, a mirage. And now we all know it. And so so if they go back to that routine, it's going to be hard for it to ring true. Right. I, I agree with you. I think for a lot of Bon Appetit fans, like the curtains kind of been pulled. I think they want to see the test kitchen come back, but there's definitely a feeling of like lost innocence. As for Sola, seven weeks ago, I asked her, if you could make a video about anything, what video would you make? I feel like I need to do a full, proper chocolate tempering video. And it turns out she did it. This past Thursday, a video of Sola tempering chocolate was posted on YouTube. Now, 
I'm terrified of tempering chocolate. I think most people are. But you are very, very good at it. Nothing to be scared of. Totally easy. All right. We're going to crush it. But it was on the YouTube channel of a competitor, Binging with Babish. And it seems to have found an audience. It has over 1.5 million views and counting. So you've done amazing work here. Shall we, we show the world? I, I think we, Let's yeah. Let's do it together. It's time. Ready? All right. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. Wow. One late-breaking update. Friday afternoon, as we were finalizing this episode, Condé Nast Entertainment announced they have a new president, Agnes Chu, who comes over from Disney. She replaces Orrin Katzif, another Condé Nast exec who's come under fire for offensive jokes about people of color and women, including more than one rape joke. He's also been one of the key people pushing the metrics-based approach to video production that has prioritized white people in videos. Rachel Premack reports that Katzik will remain at Condé Nast, but the company hasn't commented on what his new role will be. If you like this episode, please check out our others, including last week's show with Cara Nicoletti. She's a fourth-generation butcher, but as the first woman in the lineage, she's doing things a little differently. And while you're scrolling through our feed, if you listen in Spotify, click follow. If you listen in Apple Podcasts, hit subscribe. That helps other people discover our show and it makes sure you don't miss future episodes. You can do it right now. Thanks. Finally, please connect with me on Instagram. You can see what I'm cooking and eating. My kids make occasional appearances and we just got a dog. Her name is Sasha. I suspect she will be featured soon. Follow me on Instagram at The Sporkful. This episode is produced by me along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producer Andre Sohero. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. The show is mixed by Jared O'Connell. Special thanks to Peter Clowney and to Brian Hogan-Stewart from the podcast Salt and Spine. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Daisy Rosario. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Susan. And I'm her best friend, Rachel. She's the one that introduced me to The Sporkful. We're calling from Scotch Plains, New Jersey to remind you to eat more, eat better, and and eat more better. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.